the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Uh, we always look forward to our visits with you. Uh, Alan Dempsey, once again, is handling the controls, does it well. Andrew Herdliska is our producer. And in this first segment, Rob Green is with us. Uh, he's in Lafayette, Indiana, where he's the pastor of counseling and seminary ministries at Faith Church. Uh, we're going to talk about his new book, Tying the Knot, a premarital guide to a strong and lasting marriage. Rob, really nice to hook up with you, and uh, I'm glad we can talk here. Thank you for having me. Uh, Rob Green uh, is a uh, instructor and counselor. He's the author of counseling many books. He and his wife Stephanie have three children. So tell me uh, the background of this book, uh, Rob. How did it come about? Well, I've had the privilege of serving as a pastor for about 15 years now, and some of that time has been spent working with young couples, and it's been a great joy to do that. So most of them have been married between, you know, just newly married and five years. And uh, what a joy it is to work with them. And, you know, sometimes there are struggles and challenges that they face, and sometimes we have the opportunity to help them in the midst of those. Then I also spend a significant portion of my time doing what you might call crisis counseling. That is individuals who maybe have been married for quite some time but have not really gotten along very well, especially recently. And I also had the privilege of working with young couples who were about ready to get married, as well as a few who were not so young who were also ready to get married. And, you know, as I was beginning to uh, try to think through how it is that I could best serve them, given all of those experiences, what things could I help them with so that they would not do certain things that would have create conflict and challenge in their marriage. And at the same time, on the other hand, to share with them some of the ways in which God has blessed marriage. He made it, he designed it, he created it, and so therefore um, I'm hoping that they will be able to experience all of the blessings that God has for them in the midst of marriage. And so those three things kind of count combined together to encourage me to continue to think through what I wanted to talk with uh, engaged couples about and what we wanted to discuss for the purpose of helping them be best prepared uh, for a marriage that's going to honor the Lord, as well as a marriage that's going to experience all the blessings that God has for marriage. Rob, you've got eight chapters that you uh, write for us. Uh, Chapter one, Jesus must be the center of your life. Can you expand on that? Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, is so true for those who are engaged, they're so excited about being married, and I'm I'm excited for them. Uh, it's a great journey. I have the privilege of being married now for 22 years, and uh, I've had a, a great time. My wife and I uh, just had a wonderful marriage. And uh, my parents and her parents have also had wonderful marriages, so it's been a, a great joy. And one of the things that we have seen over the years as we've done counseling, as we've done help with those who are uh, about ready to get married, is sometimes they think the marriage is all about themselves. All I have to do is just care about this person or love this person, when in reality there's going to be all sorts of challenges that come their way at various points in time. And so how do they respond to those challenges? And that's where Jesus being the center of your life impacts everything. I wanted the material that I was going to put in engaged couples' hands to scream that they can find their joy and their satisfaction in Christ, that there is only one Savior. That job description has already been taken. The job has been fulfilled, and that is by Jesus Christ. 
And so the more that we spend our time focused on our individual and our corporate relationship with the Lord, the more equipped we are to find our joy and satisfaction in Him. And that, in turn, positions us to be able to love and to give and to serve um, our spouse, rather than to constantly demand love, to demand to be served, and to demand to be given to. And when we have those things working, um, that we find is that all the blessings that God has designed for us are yes in Christ. And so I want my engaged couples as individuals to see that the best way that they can prepare for a strong and lasting marriage is to have Jesus as the center of their life. And that's going to involve a growing relationship with Christ in their own heart. And then that they're going to work really hard together to have, as a couple, a commitment to the Lord. Next next topic, love with Jesus at the center. Yeah, you know, that uh, particular chapter really focuses on what is the biblical definition of love. And uh, the Bible explains in 1 Corinthians 13 all, all of these wonderful and powerful characteristics of love. And yet, what is common, the reality, this is what I tell engaged couples, which I don't think they'd really thought about too much before, but the reality is, is that many get married because the person that they are engaged to helps them to love themselves more than anybody else has. And let me just say that again. It helps them, that other person helps them love themselves more than anybody else has. Mm-hmm. And what I'm encouraging them to do and to see is that the biblical call to love is one of giving and one of serving. And so, therefore, uh, one of giving and one of serving is going to require uh, me to understand what biblical love is really like. And ultimately, when I go through those characteristics of love, and I see that love is patient and love is kind and love doesn't keep record of wrongs. The thing that I want my counselees to see is that there's no way they can do that on their own. It's just not possible. In fact, I want, after they read Chapter 2, for them to come back and to say to me, Rob, there is no way on planet Earth I can actually do this 100% of the time. Uh, to which I say, wonderful, I'm so glad you've understood that, because you're exactly right. And you're going to be dependent on the Lord in order to help you to love like that every step of the way. And so when you are wanting something and you are desiring for your wife or your husband to do this or to do that for you, then here's the opportunity for you to say, no, wait a minute, Jesus loves me and he has provided me everything I need. And so therefore, I'm free to be patient. I'm free to be kind. I'm free to believe the best. And if I see couples doing that, then I am fully convinced that they're going to experience the blessings God has for them, and they're going to enjoy their time because they're just focused on serving one another. Uh, Now, I want you to talk, uh, Rob, about problem solving with Jesus as the center. The name of the book, Tying the Knot, by the way. Go ahead, Rob. You know, what happens when we don't live in Chapter 1 and Chapter 2? That's really what Chapter 3 is about. So what happens if I, this particular day, aren't thinking so much about my relationship with Christ? What if I come home after a day of work, and there were some things that happened that didn't go exactly the way I wanted to, and so I was just a little bit irritated about that. And now the question comes, I'm not living for the Lord right now. And then I get home, and someone in the family does something that I don't like. Now, right there is a prime opportunity for me to exchange loving the Lord and freeing me then to give and to love and to serve. And at that moment, I start demanding I have to have things my way. I've had stuff going wrong all day long. I certainly don't want anything going wrong here. And so when that happens, I begin to say things that aren't very godly, aren't very kind, aren't very loving. And I create problems. And so what do I do when those moments happen? And what I tell my couples is I want you to have 90%, 95% of your marriage as a time of blessing. But there's going to be 5% because all of us are still sinners here. Yes, we are redeemed, and yes, we are saved by the grace of God, but we still struggle with sin. And so we're going to have problems. 
And what I want them to understand is that there is a clear and biblical guide to how you actually solve a problem. Too many people think that the problem is the result of someone else. Someone else did something. When in reality, I have to look, Scripture says, at the log that is in my own eye before I'm prepared and equipped to look at the speck in someone else's eye. Rob Green is our guest from Lafayette, Indiana. We're talking about his book, Tying the Knot, a premarital guide to a strong and lasting marriage. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and attorney Delton Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. J.P. Morgan is now holding a record 55 million ounces of silver. Goldman Sachs and HSBC recently purchased 7.1 tons of physical gold. What do these fat cat bankers and mega money managers know that you don't? They're expecting another financial crisis, and over time, gold and silver win. Silver is trading below its production costs and is predicted to double by 2020. At Capital Gold Group, we offer gold and silver for direct delivery. Plus, our specialty is IRA rollovers for the ultimate in IRA security. Be one of the first 20 callers today to to receive our free gold and silver buying guide. Capital Gold Group is A-plus rated with a Better Business Bureau. So call now and see what investing in gold and silver can do for you. Call now, 800-430-7568, 800-430-7568, 800-430-7568. That's 800-430-7568. Decision 2016 is Campaign HQ. The sparks will fly. Get exclusive radio coverage of the next CNN Salem Media Group debate. Thursday night, March 10th, live from the University of Miami. Our exclusive coverage begins at 6 p.m. Brought to you by Dr. St. Germain and BurnFanOrlando.com. Call 855-889-THIN. Locations throughout Central Florida. Don't miss the last debate before the GOP primary here in Florida. And the only place you'll be able to hear it on the radio is right here at the Salem Media Group station. And on our new mobile app. Download yours right now from your app store. Decision 2016 is here at Campaign HQ. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Dr. Rob Green is the pastor of counseling and seminary ministries at Faith Church in Lafayette, Indiana. We're digging into his new book, Tying the Knot, A Premarital Guide to a Strong and Lasting Marriage. Uh, Rob, I want you to now discuss roles and expectations with Jesus at the center, or Jesus as the center. You know, one of the things that is common in every chapter is Jesus as the center. In other words, Jesus is the center of everything. Yes. And so here in roles and expectations, what I'm just simply encouraging uh, couples to think through is what is it that Jesus says is your responsibility? What are the things you have to do? And what you have to do, you know, as a husband, for example, is you have to love your wife as Christ loves the church. You have to... Uh, learn to learn your wife so that you can minister to her in a wise and effective way. Um, you also have to lead her. Those are non-negotiables. But, you know, everything else is just up for debate. It's up for grabs. And what I want to encourage people to do is rather than set a series of expectations that I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this over here, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just enjoy seeing the gifts and abilities and skills that my spouse is going to bring to our relationship. And so, therefore, I want that to be flexible, to help them to see that it doesn't have, you, how you make a marriage work isn't exactly how your parents did or your friends did or your pastor did or your mentor did. Instead, it's a, an ongoing process. And how you make things work at one stage of life may be different than how you make another stage how you make things work at another stage of life, and just enjoy the journey. And so for me, roles and expectations are all about understanding what has 
God said you must do, and therefore I need Christ to be um, helping me and working in my heart so that I do those things, and then also to have a very flexible, joyful attitude towards everything else. Now the fifth topic, communication with Jesus as the center. You know, communication um, is often a big sticking point uh, for couples. And many of the couples who come to counseling after they've been married for 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years, who come into our counseling center, which has been open for the last 40 years and doing all sorts of counseling training and all sorts of counseling in our community and in our church, one of the common threads is that they have not communicated very well. And they acknowledge that. They say, we don't communicate well. So this chapter is all about helping them understand what does the Scripture say about communication. You know, things like being honest with one another. You know, sometimes we're not so willing to be so honest. There's just a little bit of hidden and shady conversation that goes on. We're encouraging each other to be honest right from the beginning. We want to help them to keep current in all of their conversation. And so rather than store up issues and hurts and challenges, we want them to communicate those quickly because the way I often explain to my uh, young couples is, hey, problems are like bunnies. You can have two today or you can have a thousand tomorrow. So let's deal with the, the two that we've got today as opposed to waiting until there's a thousand. And then there's the issue of just being encouraging. So often couples just begin to take one another for granted. And so they just go on and live life, and the, the only things they discuss about are the issues that come up, where it would be so helpful to the, for them to follow the scriptural advice in Ephesians 4 to have words that are building up and encouraging. That is part of strengthening relationships. And so that chapter is really all about helping them learn to uh, deal with things quickly as well as learn to be encouraging to one another to strengthen their relationship as they move forward. And now, Rob, we talk about finances with Jesus as the center. You know, the Lord has given us a ton of information about money management in Scripture. But almost all of it is geared around the heart. There isn't a passage that tells you you need to spend X percent on this or Y percent on this over here or Z percent on this. Instead, what it tells you is you have to be careful about your heart. You have to be on guard on your heart against things like greed. You have to be careful about worry. You have to learn how to be generous. You have to learn how to plan. And those kinds of issues are all heart issues. And I want my young couples to begin to understand that the money is an issue of their heart. It's not just, hey, let's go to get some financial advisor, let's get X percent here and Y percent here and Z percent here and get our budget so that our expenses are less than our income. It's more than that. It's a heart attitude that says, I want to worship the Lord in the way in which I steward every resource that he's entrusted to me. And so that chapter doesn't spend as much time focusing on budgets and management of those budgets, which they ultimately will have to do, as much as it does on the heart attitude towards money. Now now we talk about community with Jesus as the center. You know, young couples um, often uh, struggle to develop good relationships with others, especially if they get married and then move away from where their homes were. And so what I wanted to emphasize in this particular chapter, which to my knowledge isn't found in very many, if any, pre-marriage books that are available on the market today, is I wanted to encourage them to be actively and meaningfully engaged in the community of their church. And so they need to not only be there on Sunday morning, but they need to actually be involved in the small groups and in serving and in participating in community life because that's part of the sanctification process. We grow in relationship with one another and in relationship with the Lord. And so I really wanted a chapter just simply dedicated to the place of the local church, because I know how important it is for young couples to stay connected and to be together, especially during those early years. Next, next topic for you, Rob. Intimacy with Jesus as the center. 
you know, young, especially those who have grown up in the church and have worked really hard to uh, remain sexually pure prior to their marriage, uh, there's often a, a little bit of nervousness, sometimes a lot of excitement about the area of sex uh, as they approach their wedding day. And, you know, one of the things that I want to encourage them to do is to see that what Scripture teaches is that sex is not about performance. It's about relationship. It's not about a show. It's about two people who love one another and who are experiencing that intimacy together. And if they get that, then it will help them on their honeymoon as they set aside certain expectations that they might have going into it. And it will also help them to learn to care about one another should things be a little more challenging than maybe what they had initially anticipated. And so if they get that point and they see that throughout Scripture there is this commitment to relationship and not about some experience or performance, then that will help them to learn to love one another and to grow in their intimacy throughout the years. I I tell them, you know, their honeymoon does not have to be their best sex. In fact, it probably won't be. Instead, it's going to be the start of a journey that they're going to go on together that is going to be enriching and fulfilling as they live in harmony over the years. At the end of your book, <clears throat> Rob, uh, you've got an appendix, and it says, Just for the Mentors. Uh, what's that about? You know, as a pastor, I'm constantly thinking about how is it that we're equipping others uh, for the ministry. And so I'm interested in hearing about and having individuals and churches come alongside uh, these engaged couples and help out their pastors by doing supreme marital counseling. And so what I wanted to do was I figured that there's a number of pastors who would get this resource and they would give it to one of the mentors and they would say, hey, would you be willing to walk through this material with this couple who's about ready to be married in the next few months? And then that couple, that mentor couple then, have a chapter to see exactly how I use it. And that they may choose to use it a little bit differently, but at least they have a guide that equips them on how this material can be used uh, to help those who they're working with. So I really wanted to see this as a part of the equipping role that I have as a pastor, as well as other pastors have, in order to encourage those within their church body to get more involved in serving others. Tell me, uh, Rob, what you want uh, listeners here to take from your book. Uh, can you summarize it for us? Yeah. You know, uh, there's a reason that Jesus is the center shows up in every single chapter heading. And that's because I want everybody who's hearing and who would read a book like this to say, man, my life needs to have Jesus as the center. Uh, my life really needs to be living out what Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven and 38 say. And that is when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He responded that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And if they get that piece, then there's a lot of other pieces that begin to fall in place. We need mentors, all of us, don't we? Indeed. Are you a good mentor? Are you a mentor in your life? And and do you have mentors? Rob Green is our guest. Rob, we're talking about mentors, right? We have been. Yeah, uh, my, that's my question. Uh, do you have mentors, and what does it take to be a good mentor? Yeah, you know, I do have mentors. Um, I would consider my dad still one of my mentors. Um, I have pastors who are also serving here with me, uh, who are mentors to me in various ways. I have friends who are mentors in areas and skills that I just don't have or are not very developed. And, you know, being a good mentor involves uh, caring about and developing a uh, meaningful relationship with the person you're seeking to mentor so that your mentees know that Whatever it is you're telling them isn't just simply meant as criticism. It's actually meant as a means to help them to grow. And when a person really understands that being a mentor is helping someone get to a better place, then I think that it allows them to say things that maybe 
they couldn't say if the other person didn't think of them that way. So someone can be all harsh and mean, and if they have a position of authority and control, then they can get away with that. But the, a mentor doesn't have that position. A mentor is a, position, a person who's coming alongside someone as a friend who has been there before, who is encouraging and helping someone uh, to get to a better place. And so they have to have that loving relationship. They also have to have something meaningfully to say. You know, we talk about this in counseling training all the time, that in order to do counseling, one thing is you have to have the person believing that you are trustworthy. If they don't think you're trustworthy, then there's no reason for them to seek your help. And then the second thing is you actually have to have help available to them. So they might like you. They might think you're a really neat person or really wise or whatever. But if you don't have anything to give them, no help to provide, then you're not going to be a very good mentor. Rob, if you had to give just one piece of advice to engaged couples, what would it be? Uh, My piece of advice is to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that may result in seeing that the marriage is not a great idea. It might result in seeing that this is the most wonderful gift that God could have possibly given you. But remember first, first priorities first, that is you love the Lord with all your heart. And what is the number one issue, do you think, that trips up young couples? Well, I think it's that. You know, after working with young couples for a long time, there are some who end up falling into various kinds of sexual sin. There are some who fall into various types of sinful communication habits. There are some who get into trouble financially. There are some who don't learn to solve problems, and so they basically become hoarders of relationship trash. But the reality is, is every one of those has its roots in not loving Christ very much in those moments. Uh, one of the individuals I always appreciated was Paul Tripp, and one of the things he said, which I thought was so helpful, is he said, either Christ lives in the 10,000 little moments of your life or he doesn't live in your life at all. And that is a perfect illustration of why sometimes people struggle with one thing and somebody else struggles with a different, somebody else struggles with a different, but it all comes back to the root of is Christ really living out in your life in the 10,000 little moments. Rob Green. Rob, a million thanks. So good to visit with you, and congratulations on your book. Thank you very much. Rob Green has been our guest. Uh, The book, Tying the Knot. Uh, Just a reminder, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando, Florida. Stay with us. We've got more. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call Select Quote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $28 a month. I'm Select Quote agent Dan Savino. And believe me, if Select Quote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 1-800-509-1667. That's 1-800-509-1667. 1-800-509-1667. Or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price can vary depending on your health insurance company and other factors not available in all states. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. 
Decision 2016 is Campaign HQ. The sparks will fly. Get exclusive radio coverage of the next CNN Salem Media Group debate. Thursday night, March 10th, live from the University of Miami. Our exclusive coverage begins at 6 p.m. Brought to you by Dr. St. Germain and BurnFanOrlando.com. Call 855-889-THIN. Locations throughout Central Florida. Don't miss the last debate before the GOP primary here in Florida. And the only place you'll be able to hear it on the radio is right here at the Salem Media Group station and on our new mobile app. Download yours right now from your app store. Decision 2016 is here at Campaign HQ. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Uh, Rob Green, our guest in that first half hour, talking about his new book, Tying the Knot. Uh, Bruce Ashford is a professor of theology and culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in the town of Wake Forest, North Carolina. Uh, he has put a new book out with Chris Papalardo. It's called One Nation Under God, A Christian Hope for American Politics. B&H Academic put the book out. Bruce, great to catch up with you. Thanks for joining me. Pat, thank you very much. Happy to be on the show. Before we plow into this book, uh, describe the town of Wake Forest, North Carolina, to one who's never been there. So Wake Forest, North Carolina is a small bedroom community in the Raleigh-Durham area. And we are the town that is best known for being the, the founding community for Wake Forest University. Arnold Palmer played his golf here. And uh, so our seminary, Southeastern Seminary, is now taken over the campus that used to be Wake Forest University. And Wake Forest has moved to, uh, to Winston-Salem. And that's where I arrived uh, many, many years ago at that Wake Forest campus in Winston-Salem. And so I'm a, I'm a Wake Forest demon deacon here, Bruce. And all right. So Good I'm deacon. Tick, tickled, uh, tickled to catch up with you. Um, tell me about your new book and uh, what you and your author, your co-author Chris, were working on here. What's the What's the mission? Well, you know, this election cycle. I'm 41 years old, mm-hmm. and it is the craziest election cycle I have seen in my my 40 years. And even before the election cycle, I think uh, Chris and I just noticed that the cultural ground beneath us is shifting and that Christians are really trying to figure out how to respond. And we think there have been some unhelpful responses. We think we've been tempted towards some unhelpful responses. One response that's unhealthy is to basically withdraw from politics and public life, to sort of take our marbles and our checkers and go home and not play anymore. I think that's unhelpful. Another uh, unhealthy approach is what we could call messianic activism. People just tend to invest all of their hopes in politics, that it'll be a messiah but they're really, it's not a messiah, and if you make politics into a messiah, eventually you'll despair, and you'll probably take your marbles and go home, just like the other view. Uh, there's been a lot of anger and fear. You know, we tend to be uh, angry or afraid when things are taken away from us. But w- what we want to argue is that politics, the political realm, is actually a good realm to glorify God in, and that we ought to interact in that realm with grace and joy rather than anger and fear, and uh, that we ought not to withdraw. And so this book is an attempt to, to uh, sort of coach us on how to do that. Let's get started. The first topic that you write about, locating politics within the true story of the whole world. Uh, what are you teaching us here, Bruce? Yeah, so you know the Bible is made up of 66 books and numerous authors and multiple genres, but it comes together to make one true story, an overarching story that tells us about God and about his world. And that story, um, you know, politics is is located within that story. There would have been a political realm even if there were not sin, even if there weren't the need for police officers and and soldiers and and the restraint of evil, that we would have had to to have a way of ordering our common life together, you know, to determine which side of the road to drive on and, and so forth. But after the fall, after sin, what sin is introduced in the world, things like murder and and rape and injustice and these sorts of things. We also need government to restrain evil. Um, and so the biblical narrative is that the Lord Jesus is coming back one day and that he will institute a new government on a new heavens and earth. And then in the meantime, we ought to live in the political realm. Christians ought to interact in the political realm in a way that is a preview of his coming kingdom. So, you know, movies have previews. You know, you can watch a uh, a 30-second or two-minute clip of a movie that you want to go see, 
you definitely don't see the richness of the movie, but you see a little bit of it and enough of it to wet your taste buds so that you can't wait to see the movie. So we as believers should live in that sort of a manner to wet people's taste buds and let them see what it will be like when Jesus returns. Now let's move to this topic, choosing between four competing views of public life. Yeah, so let me reduce those four views to three, just for the sake of ease uh, with mm-hmm. the with the radio format for a moment, since we're not in print. So there's one view of politics and public life that many Christians have held, which is that uh, that God's salvation is really against anything in this cultural realm like politics. That uh, because of sin, the cultural realm is basically shot all to hell. That it is bad in and of itself. And so we just sort of withdraw, and after we withdraw, we can criticize. Um, but, but we're not doing anything con- constructive, per se, in, the, in this realm. There's another view um, that uh, sort of views the uh, realm of Christian truth to be sort of an upstairs and the realm of politics to be a downstairs. And when you're in the upstairs, you can draw upon the Bible and your Christianity, but when you're, down, when you're in the downstairs, you never do. And so I don't think that's a a good view either, because I think it's impossible entirely to separate ourselves from our most deeply held beliefs. And so it's not like we can have a neat upper story and lower story. So what we're arguing in the book is that the political realm is a realm that's been corrupted, just like every realm in life, and yet it's a good realm for us to interact in, and that we can draw upon God's uh, saving work and his saving word, his, his, his Bible, to uh, inform us on how we interact in that realm. My guest is Bruce Ashford. He's the co-author of One Nation Under God, A Christian Hope for American Politics. Declaring the gospel as public truth. Uh, what's that mean, Bruce? Yeah, so, you know, I think in America, we were, you know, we've always been told not to talk about religion or politics in polite company, but, you know, that, that's what I do. I talk about religion and politics, and uh so I'm breaking the rules here. And the reason is that the gospel, just like any religion for that matter, is heartfelt. And the Bible talks about religion as being something that, we, that is heartfelt, fitting, that uh, we, we hold in the deepest recesses of who we are. But because, precisely because it's heartfelt, it also radiates outward into everything that we do. It ought to, and into everything that we say. Same thing is true for other religious believers. Same, you know, atheists, everyone is religious. An atheist is religious. And if he is not uh, ascribing ultimacy to the God of Jesus Christ, he'll be ascribing ultimacy to sex or money or power or, or science or something like this. So everybody's religious, and everybody's religion, their most deeply held beliefs, the things that they make ultimate, will necessarily affect the way they act in public. And so we just argue that we ought to um, take our Christianity into public, but take it in an appropriate way rather than an inappropriate way which is really the topic of the fourth chapter. And that is called Relating Church and State, right, Bruce? Yes, sir. So, you know, we believe in a separation of church and state, but that's not the same thing as a separation of religion and politics. So when we talk about the separation of church and state, what we mean is that the church as an institution, you know, the Anglican Communion or the Southern Baptist Convention or the Roman Catholic Church, that the church as an institution should not seek to control the state or to establish itself as the public religion of the country. Because, you know, that really goes against the nature of the gospel, that we would want to sort of coerce other people to be Christian. Then vice versa, the state should not swim outside of its lane either. So the government should not meddle in the affairs of the church and tell us who to appoint as a pastor or, or who could be a member or what we ought to believe. However, the church is not just an institution, the church is an organism. We are connected to Christ, and even when we leave a worship service on Sunday morning, we remain connected to Christ and fellow members of the church as we go throughout our community life and our interactions with politics and public life. And it's, in, it, it's when we leave the church and act as believers that we have the opportunity to shape the political realm. You know, Romans 13 tells us to submit to the authority. When you're in a democratic republic... Central to submitting to the authorities is critiquing the authorities. It's voting. It's using our voice in public to graciously and joyfully um, contribute to the good of our nation. And that, that's going to be tough to do in a country that is 
uh, increasingly, in, in which evangelical Christians are an increasing minority. Now, let's get into this topic, doing politics in a post-Christian country. Yeah, so, you know, that's an interesting title, and in one sense it's a misnomer. We've never been thoroughly or comprehensively a Christian country. You know, a country can't be Christian in the way that a person can be. And, you know, the United States has been plagued with all sorts of problems from from its beginning, and slavery being, you know, a, a prime example. But there's a real sense in which now for the first time in the history of our country, um, Christian beliefs, and especially moral beliefs, are often not just viewed by most Americans to be morally inferior, but even morally reprehensible, just bad, bad for society. And so what we're going to learn, have to learn how to do in the United States is to be a prophetic minority, to be comfortable with being a minority. And, you know, most Christians around the world, in Asia, in the Middle East, and in Africa, are minorities, and most Christians in church history have been minorities uh, within the nation state or the, the, the nation that they lived in. And we can do that, too. It's, it's not a problem. And, we, in, in fact, it, I think it will help strengthen the church. Um, and so that's part of the point of that, uh, that chapter, that we ought not try to force everyone else to believe what we believe, that we can sort of wear, live comfortably within our, within our own skin as Christians and give uh, witness publicly. Now I want you to talk about cultivating wisdom and public virtue. Yeah, you know, wisdom and uh, virtue are not always on offer in generous amounts in the realm of politics, um, you know. And I think this election cycle is an example. I'm not going to call out any names right now or anything, but I think, you know, we really want uh, Christians, and especially Christian leaders, who are wise. They've developed the ability to assess the lay of the land and make a wise decision, and that they um, have built virtuous lives. Not perfect lives. I mean, Jesus Christ is not going to be the president of the United States. But, uh, but really and truly uh, uh, lives of character. And we want to do that. We want to be publicly righteous. A Christian church is a formation center for public righteousness. Um, we want to be wise in how we interact politically. It, when are we going to articulate our viewpoints by backing it up with Christian scripture? When are we going to uh, instead of doing that, appeal to some common ground that we've got with other citizens who disagree with us. And so we just want to carry ourselves with wisdom and virtue, because it would be ironic um, and sad, and all too often this happens, if we were to try to make Christian points uh, with our words, and yet our disposition and demeanor were unchristian. My guest is Bruce Ashford. He has co-authored the book with Chris Papalardo, One Nation Under God, A Christian Hope for American Politics. After the interlude in the book, uh, we get into some other interesting topics, Bruce, like uh, Chapter 7 called Life and Death. Uh, what do you write about here? Yeah, so in these uh, case studies, and let me just encourage uh, those of you who are listening to be willing to, uh, to, to buy this book. It's a, it's a gift-sized book. It's very small. And we meant it as a sort of a field manual, a little guide for how one might operate Christianly. And so in the last half of the book, we take um, seven different policy issues. I think abortion is a really good test case. In 1973, the majority of the Supreme Court created a right out of thin air. And, and it is the right for a, a, um, a mother to take the life of her baby. And this is especially sad because a, a mother's womb ought to be the safest place on earth. And it's sad because a civilization is only a civilization to the extent that it protects the weak within its borders. And who is weaker than a baby? Or maybe an elderly person who can no longer take care of uh, themselves. And so I think there have been good examples of Christians uh, who are pro-life who have carried themselves with grace and mercy towards those with whom they disagree, and yet they have um, spoken about every human being having dignity because they are created in the image and likeness of God. Other Christians have, and we show this in the book, given used common ground to show our country why abortion is bad, not just for the baby who is killed in the womb, but for the mother, for the father, for the marriage, for the family, for society. I mean, you know, in society, if what, what abortion legalization does is it tells people that when they have a private problem, 
that it is okay to use lethal force to solve the problem. Mm. And so we want to show our country that this is not this is not the right way. We want to show a more excellent a more excellent way. Bruce Ashford is with us from Wake Forest, North Carolina. We're talking about the book that he has co-authored. It's called One Nation Under God. We've got another segment with Bruce, so uh, stay with us, folks. Uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN right here in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Maybe you've been walking with God for most of your life. Maybe you don't know much about Jesus or the Bible. Whatever your background, the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN invites you to join us each Sunday morning at 1045 for Reach Orlando, a Bible-centered church with a passion to love God, love people, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world. Come study the Bible together with Pastor Adam Parsons and draw closer to God with Reach Orlando, Sunday morning at 1045, on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Hey there, travelers. You going somewhere? Need a hotel? Then call Hotel Wiz anytime, day or night for rates too low to publish. You can save up to 75% on over 500,000 hotels across the globe and get our best price guarantee with no booking or cancellation fees ever. We've got some of the lowest hotel prices you'll find in New York, Chicago, Las Vegas, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., and a lot more. Don't waste your time surfing for deals. Make a free call right now and find deals too low to publish. Save up up to 75% right now with no cancellation fees. And to make it even easier on you, we're here 24-7 to help. So call right now. Bookmark us in your cell phone. Whatever you need to do, just pick up the phone and call this number for hotel deals that'll knock your socks off. Decision 2016 is Campaign HQ. The sparks will fly. Get exclusive radio coverage of the next CNN Salem Media Group debate. Thursday night, March 10th, live from the University of Miami. Our exclusive coverage begins at 6 p.m. Brought to you by Dr. St. Germain and BurnFanOrlando.com. Call 855-889-THIN. Locations throughout Central Florida. Don't miss the last debate before the GOP primary here in Florida. And the only place you'll be able to hear it on the radio is right here at the Salem Media Group station. And on our new mobile app. Download yours right now from your app store. Decision 2016 is here at Campaign HQ. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Bruce Ashford is the co-author of One Nation Under God. Uh, Bruce, uh, marriage and sexuality. Yeah, you do a whole chapter on that. Uh, what's your message? Yeah, you know, this. so this issue has come to the forefront. It's been at the forefront since the so-called sexual revolution, and it has resurfaced and resurfaced in a big way with the Obergefell decision. And right now, you know, we've got presidential candidates being grilled regarding their stance on sexuality. You have corporations, you know, being panned or praised based on the, their owners' views on this topic. You have legal cases being heard regularly in federal courts, sometimes rising to the level of the Supreme Court. Um, in years past, the debate centered on things like free love and no-fault divorce, and they've just moved forward now. Now it's focusing on homosexuality, same-sex marriage, transgender, and so forth. And what we try to encourage Christians to do in the book is to understand God's design for gender and sex, and then to understand ways that we can articulate that in public. This is going to be a really tough one for evangelicals, because we have the majority of public opinion you know, against us on this. What we want to do is we want to respect and love um, our fellow citizens who experience same-sex attraction. We also want to say that marriage is an institution that's grounded in the created order. It's not cultural. It's not personal. It's a, something that God instituted at the time of creation, and it has norms. And those norms involve one woman and one man in a committed uh, relationship. And so this, it's especially, you know, I think the, the media doesn't understand our stance. And to the extent that they do, they, they don't like it. And we're going to be misrepresented. And we have to be willing, I think, to speak with a unified, gracious, and loving, but firm voice on this. 
and to do it over the course of a generation or two. We probably aren't going to see uh, a reversal of Obergefell or a reform immediately or quickly, but maybe we would over the course of a generation or two. Let's talk about another topic here, Bruce, economics and wealth. Yeah, so in this chapter, you know, we argue that economics, as with any other cultural sphere, belongs to God. Sometimes people think that economics doesn't, and we try to show um, that what we ought to do is not only have good intentions in, for example, helping the poor, but that we ought to look at any unintended negative consequences of using unwise economic means or economic systems in a good attempt to help the poor. So basically, we don't take a hard right capitalist view, but we take a very hard stance against uh, uh, socialism because we think that socialism on the whole, um, uh, there's some ways that it's unjust and that all ships sort of uh, sink with the tide. How about this one? The environment and ecological stewardship. It's interesting that in the 1970s and 80s, evangelicals were at the forefront of having environmental and ecological concerns, Francis Schaeffer and a number of others. But when the Democratic Party began to emphasize it, and especially with the rise of global warming theory, evangelicals tend to, tend to have with, either withdrawn from the conversation or they're are portrayed in the media as those who are against environmental ethics. And nothing could be further from the truth that um, the world that we live in is God's good creation, and we should not trash it. And so we just encourage people basically here to do their homework on ecological issues and to make sure that people know for the sake of our public witness that we do care about uh, God's creation. We don't take any stances on, uh, you know, global warming and what causes it or anything like that. Now the topic is racial diversity and race relations. The United States is a nation of immigrants. It has always been shaped by diverse racial identities, Native American Indians, um, um, white European immigrants, uh, black African immigrants, and others. And we've had sometimes volatile relationships. And what we want to do is we want to agree with the U.S. seal, e pluribus unum, that out of the many, one. We would hope that there is a a real sense in which uh, the United States can be one nation uh, with many different uh, cultures. And we, we focus on Martin Luther King and on a man named James Perkins, and we show um, how we can uh, work out the implications of the gospel by loving the other, the person who is racially different from us. Bruce Ashford is our guest. He is the professor of theology and culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, uh, co-author of One Nation Under God, which we're talking about. Bruce, how about this one, Immigrants and Immigration Reform? Well, that's a doozy, isn't it? Yep. And it has surfaced uh, multiple times in the, in the uh, 2012 and now 2016 election cycles. So our country is a nation of immigrants, and we've, but we've, what we've got to determine is is our process too open? Is it too closed, too long, too short? As Christians, I think our angle is that we want to be both just and merciful. And uh, we give uh, Barrett Duke and Russell Moore as examples of Christians who try to strike this balance between justice and mercy, that uh, there ought to be a just rule of law where people do not immigrate illegally. And yet, if that has happened, there, there have to be ways in which we can be merciful and, and at the same time rectify the injustice. Let's talk about war and peace. You do a whole chapter here. <clears throat> yeah, you know, uh, there are a number of pas- pacifists, Christian pacifists, who argue that Christians should never be okay with war. And what we do in the end is say that we admire the intentions of these Christians, and yet we do think that God has ordained uh, during this time, uh, before he returns, he has ordained uh, war as a... Um, a means sometimes of solving our problems unnecessarily. I mean, uh, uh, unfortunately, sometimes we have to. And so we try to show what is the difference between a just and an unjust unjust war. We use as our hero in this chapter a man named Daniel Heimbach, who teaches at Southeastern. He wrote the the just war theory and the rationale for uh, Bush 41, for the elder Bush in uh, the first Gulf War. And we use him as an example to show us how to think through whether or not to wage war. Now I want you to talk about speaking the truth to power 
Learning from Augustine. That's your concluding chapter. It is. So, you know, Augustine was just an amazing Christian, and he, he lived in the days of the decline of the Roman Empire. Morally and politically, Rome was in decline. And when Rome was being sacked by the Visigoths and the Vandals, a fellow Christian wrote to Augustine, and this fellow Christian, Marcellinus, was a political figure in Rome um, who was fairly well-connected. And Marcellinus said to Augustine, he said, look, Augustine, you're the smart guy here. You're, you're the theologian. He said, here's what I'm dealing with. All of the, the pagan politicians who, who surround me say that the reason that Rome is crumbling is because Romans have become Christians and that it's a weak religion and, that, uh, and so forth. And so Augustine wrote a letter back to him that was about a 1,000 pages long and that is now known as the City of God. And in that book, he, he models for us how to um, bear witness to the gospel. So he told the Bible, he told the Bible's story, the true story of the whole world. He taught people what Scripture says. And he made clear that Rome was just a bit player in the grand sweep of history, that the truer and bigger story is the biblical story that starts with creation and ends with the new heavens and earth, Uh, whereas the Romans believed that Roman history was the true story of the whole world and that Christianity was a bit player within it. So the way that uh, corresponds to the United States is that as believers, you know, I, I think what we say to the Americans is that Americans tend to see themselves at the center of history, that we we are this great uh, uh, world power, and we are a great world power, but we are a bit player in the grand sweep of history. And so that's one thing that we could remind people is that is that God is Lord, and that the biblical story is the bigger story. And then a couple of other things: um, Augustine exposed false narratives. He exposed uh, bad stories about the world, and I think as Americans we need to do that. There are some really bad stories about the world that center on sexual pleasure, or or money, or power. Or, or whatever, and we want to expose those for being inferior stories about the world that cannot explain the way the world really is. And then finally, I just mentioned that Augustine was wise. He adapted his tactics. So when he was arguing for a point, sometimes he was drawing upon Scripture. Sometimes he was quoting the famous poets and philosophers who were Roman pagan. Sometimes he did a combination of both. He was never mean-spirited. He didn't lie about his opponents in order to defeat them in an argument. He was a gracious and a good Christian man. And for that reason, I think he's a good uh, example to us. My guest has been Bruce Ashford, co-author of One Nation Under God. Bruce, a million thanks. It's been a good half hour. And I I really and truly enjoyed the show. We will have a wrap-up, folks, right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, This is the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and attorney Delton Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Thanks so much, folks, for uh, plugging in here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Rob Green was our guest in the first half hour talking about his book, Tying the Knot. And then Bruce Ashford joined us from Wake Forest, North Carolina, One Nation Under God, interesting book that he and his writing partner put together. Uh, Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page is Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, my latest book is out. It's called Extreme Winning. Uh, the 12 qualities that it takes to be an extreme winner in life. I think you'll enjoy it. It's in bookstores now and Amazon.com, always a wonderful way to order books. Have a wonderful week ahead, folks, and a great day tomorrow in church with your family. And we'll be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.